Ideas, hypotheses, theories, and opinions expressed by guests on informed dissent may or may not reflect the opinions of the host or the producers of this podcast. Appearance as a guest on informed dissent does not constitute an endorsement of any ideas, hypotheses, theories, or opinions of our guests, directly or indirectly. Information is presented to assist you in formulating your personal informed dissent. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent, available on all the usual podcast outlets, including Apple Podcasts. How are you doing? Hello. I am well. Just returned from a trip to Ojai, California, which is largely free and felt like I had a great relief from the oppressive atmosphere of Los Angeles. So I'm, I'm doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great to be with you again. We've got a, a fantastic guest tonight and, and a controversial one. Uh, I can't tell you, I must have had over 100 people on various social media outlets uh, send me this video. Hey, Barky, have you watched this yet? What do you think? Hey, have you watched this yet? Is this real? What do you think? I mean, this thing has gone viral like I've never seen. And of course, the, the video I'm talking about is the video called Watch the Water with Dr. Brian Artis. And he joins us today on Informed Descent. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome, Jeff and Mark. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So, uh, Dr. Artis, wow, where, where to start? So if, if I could, I want to summarize. I, I watched this. Uh, I watched it uh, a few weeks ago, and I watched your video again today. I want to summarize my understanding, and you you tell me if I've if I've got your uh, your hypothesis correct. So, of course, COVID nineteen SARS CoV two has been with us for a while, and uh, it is believed to be by most a viral respiratory illness that came out of the Chinese Wuhan lab. Uh, there's some question whether it was manufactured by gain-of-function research and whether this thing escaped or was purposely released uh, by the Chinese Communist Party. And, you know, people have died and there's been a variety of treatments, including the one that I know you have basically been an evangelist against. And this is where I first learned about you because you came out quite strongly against the standard or what, what was standard for a long time hospitalized treatment. And that's the drug called uh, remdesivir made by Gilead. And then recently I came across this video and uh, it, it's like, wait, what is, is Brian working for the Babylon Bee? And was this like an April, April 1st video? And, and no, he's dead serious. And then there's been other scientists that have come out and kind of nod, nodded their head. And uh, I'm a member of a, of a COVID-19 chat group with hundreds and hundreds of uh, doctors and scientists and so forth, and they've been battling about this, some defending you, some being strongly, I mean, nastily critical of you. So, so here's my understanding of what your hypothesis is, that in fact, this infection uh, seems to mimic that of snake ven venom, and in particular, the cobra snake and the crate snake. And that in fact, your belief is that the CDC, maybe other government agencies, are purposely poisoning people by putting this snake venom into the water system. And they do so in a way where they can target different populations of people. And you go even further and say, not only are they putting this in our water, but remdesivir, 
that you describe as a white yellowish powder that needs to be reconstituted either in saline or sterile water uh, closely resembles the look of powdered snake venom that looks the same. And in fact, remdesivir has properties of snake venom. And when they inject it, the, uh, the, the mechanism of action of attacking uh, various organ systems causing a cytokine storm is, is almost identical to snake venom. And then you go further and say, the reason why the FDA has pulled back and actually recommended against using monoclonal antibodies, a couple different companies that make them, is because monoclonal antibodies are actually anti-venom. So they reverse the effects of the venom that's put in the water or the remdesivir that's given to people. And that's why the FDA says, no, 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 don't use that stuff. Similar with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. So those are some pretty out there ideas. And I'll tell you, during this whole COVID thing, there were some things that I thought were absolutely crazy until later they weren't crazy and they actually came out to be true. Um, So do I have your hypothesis correct? Uh, yeah, yes, you have it correct. You just haven't gotten to the vaccines yet because I took it even further. <laughs> you did. That's right. I, I, I skipped over that part. And you say the vaccines basically are venom as well oh, and injecting man, uh, into people and, and, and causing more harm than good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how much you want me to touch on. That was a great overview, actually. So you, you came to this because a, a, a physician texted you uh, something about if you got bit by a snake, would you go to the hospital and get snake venom? Sort of like a, you know, Socratic uh, statement, you know, uh, that you're like, what the heck does that mean? You didn't yes, disclose and maybe you don't want to. Who is that doctor that planted that idea into your head? Actually, the night the Stu Peters watched the water released, this doctor watched it and he called me immediately at the end of it. And, uh, and I asked him the next day after he texted me all day long. Uh, because he thought the Stu Peters watch the water thing was like sensationalized by filmmakers and stuff, which I had nothing to do with. They just ran with that. And Stu Peters hired people to, to turn that interview, which was just supposed to be a basic interview. He was overwhelmed with all the documentation, brought in a film crew, a documentarian film crew to make that over a two week period. But the doctor called me the next day and he goes, cause he told me, he goes, I think the water's a stretch doctor artist, but the very next day, he watched the first chapter and the second chapter that was also pre-recorded with Mike Adams. And this guy was like, uh, Dr. Artis, uh, what you did with Mike Adams, that's what everybody needs to be watching. And uh, he said, you lay out perfectly and beautifully over your four months what drove you one discovery after another to lay out this narrative. And the, the doctor I asked on the second day, I said, well, I said, well, Doc, I really appreciate you uh, – let me know how you feel. And I'm glad you watched the chapters with Mike Adams and you weren't turned off from the sensationalism of the watch the water. And he said, uh, and I said, well, I haven't told anybody who sent me that text. I said, do you mind if I tell, do you want me to tell people who you are? And he goes, absolutely. Let them know. And he who said, is it? it's Dr. Richard Bartlett, the ER doctor of out of Odessa. Of and, uh, yeah, Odessa. Richard Bartlett, of course, uh, and I've had the opportunity to speak to him early on, on numerous occasions. He's the guy who popularized the treatment of budesonide, inhaled budesonide, as sort of a silver bullet. And when he first came out with that, I reached out to him and spoke to him, and I think it's his daughter who kind of runs his appearances, and spoke to him at length about 
how he came up with this idea. So it was Bartlett that that stuck that idea in your head, huh? Yeah, Dr. Richard Bartlett and I, and the fact that you're even on these like email lists with me, um, I kind of ignored him for a few days because I was so busy in interviews and I knew it was going to be a really big knee-jerk reaction by many. Uh, but you have to understand, only I was looking at this for 16 hours a day by myself for four months. There's no way that if I was going to bring all this out at once, everybody was going to accept it the next day as some new reality. No, right. I did not think that was going to happen. I knew there was going to be this backlash immediately. However, Dr. Richard Bartlett, uh, I just want you to know, Dr. Richard Bartlett knows me better than most of the MDs. Anywhere I go, we're always together. He he is absolutely a phenomenal human being and has God inspired him, he believes, and has said many times, when he was praying to know how to take care of his ER patients with COVID, it was budesonide is what came to mind to nebulize it in. He, uh, he had been using monoclonal antibodies for about three months in Odessa, Texas. By the point at the end of November, I was asked to do an interview on InfoWars with Kate Daly, who was substitute for uh, Alex Jones that day. And I'd already interviewed Richard Bartlett about monoclonal antibodies several times. And I would ask him questions like this. I'd hold the mic and I'd go like this. So, Dr. Bartlett, you're treating people with monoclonal antibodies. How many each month? And he's like, 1,200 a month. And I said, Great. How many of the 1,200 are developing acute kidney failure, multiple organ failure, and heart failure like remdesivir patients? And he would go, none. Uh, and I would go, <laughs> how many lived and how many died? 100% uh, lived. And I would go, great. Now, I trust monoclonal antibodies more than I do remdesivir, right? That's all I would do with this interviews. But this lady, Kate Daly, asked me to come on. And just a few days before that, this other MD, who I have not asked if it's okay if I give her name, but everybody in the world knows who she is. She sent me these six research studies before my interview and goes, can you look at these with me, doc? So I did. And uh, she said, can you tell me if you see the same things I do? She's a medical doctor. I'm a retired chiropractor. I just love research studies. So I said, yeah, I'll look at them. When I got done reading them, I was like, Ugh, why would you use monoclonal antibodies? It says here monoclonal antibodies are derived from cancerous cells in the spleens of pigs. And I, so I told Kate Daly, I was like, look, I wouldn't use anything mutagenic, anything from cancer cells any, at all. What's the long-term effect of these things? We already have, this is what I said in the interview on InfoWars, we already have things that work, budesonide, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, blah, blah. So I was like, why don't we just use those? They don't have any side effects we know of that are going to cause cancer or worries in the future. Well, Dr. Bartlett is the one that sent me that text. Dr. Artis, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go to a hospital and get antivenom? And the fact that I know Richard Bartlett, and I just want you to, I want to speak to you, Jeff, on this one. Notice Richard Bartlett, he could have went in the media and badmouthed me and bashed me about being a chiropractor for making assumptions about monoclonal antibodies from these six studies. He didn't do that. He already knew me well enough that he went like this. There's something he doesn't know about monoclonal antibodies that I do as an ER doc. And, he's, and so he sent me that text. He knew exactly what it was going to do to me. I was going to go like this. Well, that's rhetorical. Of course I would, I would get anti-venom. Why are you even asking me that? That's weird. It was actually weird. Uh, it, but I knew he knew something about antivenom that he knew I didn't know. So I literally went online. I was like, what is antivenom? Because <laughs> I was like, what is it? Oh, crap. There's a bunch of antivenoms that are monoclonal antibodies. Uh, then I had to admit to myself, Dr. Jeff, that I actually would in a life-threatening situation with like a rattlesnake bike, I would put faith in monoclonal antibodies with antivenom. And that's all it took. 
All it took yeah. was me recognizing internally, oh, I was wrong. Okay, great. He knows I admit that. So I was like, okay, I won't talk anymore about monoclonal antibodies in a negative way. I'm just going to let Richard Bartlett, the expert, take care of it. But then the very next thought in my brain was, wait a minute. Why does monoclonal antibodies work towards COVID? Uh, why? I thought that was a bat virus or something. Wait, if monoclonal antibodies are used primarily or a lot of times as antivenom, which I know they can be used for other things, but my reality of monoclonal antibodies was very limited. And that's why Richard Bartlett goes, uh, you know, God only did this with you, right? He, he, he knew a medical doctor wouldn't see this. He wouldn't even question it this way. He wouldn't have went and looked this way. It just went like this. Monoclonal antibodies? I didn't even know it was antivenom or could be antivenom. Why is it working against COVID 100% of the time per my buddy Richard Bartlett? And then I went like this. I thought it was sourced from bats. So I went like this online. Was there ever any mention that the source of COVID-19 was a snake? I just wanted to know because I didn't know. I couldn't believe the next four months of my life after this. And Richard Bartlett actually knew a month before I released this info. I pulled him aside and I told him what happened when he sent me that text and what I'd been dealing with for the last three months. And, uh, and he goes just like this. Any last words before you leave this building? Doctor? Oh goodness. Yeah. And I'm like, Richard, I already feel it. I was like, I was like, I already feel it, man. I can already feel how evil this is going to be and how threatening this is going to be on my life. Cause I'd already swung around to the research at University of Pittsburgh with Bing Liu, and he was murdered. And I was like, oh, no, it can't happen to me. Okay, fine. I'm just going to keep looking and digging. I'm, sorry, I'm not going to tell anybody. But it was just one God moment after another, after another. Richard Bartlett will tell you. He, te- he texts me 10 times a day since this went out. And he's like, he'll go like this. Just watch, Dr. Artis. What MDs react negatively to what you've encountered and uncovered? He goes, they're going to out themselves. Just watch. Well, the f- of course, you know, Brian, the first salvo of negative attacks is, well, he's just a chiropractor. What the heck does oh, he know? Yeah. But of course, they weren't attacking you early on when you were doing a lot of the research that meant, that led many of us to, to shake our heads and say, you know, this remdesivir stuff is not a good thing. Uh, and we really shouldn't be using it. It doesn't work. And it causes more harm than good. And for some reason, that's the first play that these hospitals do is first they tell you there's no treatment for COVID, stay at home. Uh, and then they say, you know, when, you, when you're about to die and you can't breathe, show up at the hospital. And then the hospital immediately wants to expedite that process by giving you remdesivir. And so you really pulled the fire alarm on that. And I think a lot of us picked that up. But now the same person who was very wise in doing the research and telling us about remdesivir now is being criticized because you've come up with this new theory. So by the way, where does, where do you think Wuhan, Wuhan, China plays a role in all this, or is it just a, uh, kind of a, a, a you know, a, a diversion for the whole, for the whole scheme that's going on? No, I actually, uh, I am convinced after all the research that I've seen that Dr. Ralph Merrick or professor Ralph Barrick, at uh, the UNC Chapel Hill, that he was being paid by Anthony Fauci, the Echo Health Alliance. They were paid hundreds of millions of dollars over the last 20 years to develop this weapon. Uh, And I'm convinced it was made here in America at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, not in Wuhan. And then it was shipped. Some of it was shipped to Wuhan. And I, I just have to tell you, when I started interviewing, if I'll share this with you so you get it, when I started interviewing security detail at my house, who stays here every night right now with me and has for the last couple of weeks, 
when I was interviewing, I had these special ops people come to my house and I asked them, they, oh, they started asking me, what, why do you need security? And I said, oh, because my life is being threatened. And they said, by who? And I said, well, there's this doctor named Dr. Zev Zelenko who made me aware that uh, I am number one on an assassination list by Big Pharma, specifically Pfizer. And this came out about three weeks ago, about a week before we released the documentary. And, uh, and he goes, well, what's so controversial about what you're going to bring out? Why would that make the pharmaceutical industries mad? And I said, because I'm about to expose what it is they're really doing. And he goes, and what is that? And I said, they're weaponizing venom. And he goes, well, how would they do that? And I said, I personally believe they're doing it through water, like our water in our houses and in our communities. And he goes, I said, that's what I think. And he goes, no way. And I said, yes. And he goes, do you remember the bat lady from Wuhan? Do you remember that bat lady who escaped China, went to New York, yeah, yeah, yeah. went to Washington, D.C.? This guy was assigned as her security detail, one of the men. And he's sitting uh, in my house and he goes, Dr. Artis, we were in New York for months or for a couple months and we had to go down to D.C. And in the in the Capitol building, the United States National Capitol building, I had to sit right next to her while congressmen were drilling her about gain-of-function testing in Wuhan. And this is what they asked her. Do you guys, in your gain-of-function testing, which supposedly is to prevent pandemics in the future, like testing out weapons of viruses and pathogens, supposedly you have to come up with cures and anecdotes and vaccines. And she said, yes. And they said, do you ever experiment with your gain-of-function pathogens? And she goes, yes. And they said, outside of your lab? And she goes, yes. <laughs> and they said, well, who do you experiment on? And she said, oh, the executives and leaders of the Wuhan lab, they select a community that they want to target. And then they, they actually take the gain-of-function pathogen, they put it in water and freeze it, and then they chop it up into ice cubes and deliver it to the city, and people drink it. And then we go oh. in, and we actually use our vaccines or antidotes to do it, and we've been doing that for years. And he goes, well, I, don't rem- I don't remember hearing that testimony. And he goes, I, this is only the second time I've ever heard that water could be the delivery system. And I said, well, I think we're drinking it is all I think. And I said, that's really funny that you said that though, because I told my wife on a plane the other day, like two days before he was here, I was sitting on a plane. I was like, imagine if they just put it in the ice of an airplane. And as people flew from Italy to America, China to America, these people would get sick a few days later and you could blame it on China. You went, you came from China and got sick, right? I was just saying that to her and I was like, my wife's going to freak out that you just said it was a nice because I just brought that up a couple of days ago. So it's just my idea. Bartlett does not, Bartlett does not agree with me that it's in water. He believes it's a respiratory virus and that's fine. He's absolutely sold that I'm right about the weaponizing of venom. And doctors have been contacting him nonstop saying, how did Dr. Artis figure this out? Now that you look at it like this through this lens, it does. Almost every symptom of COVID-19 can actually be explained with venoms. So obviously, Brian, this uh, th- this illness has been international, not unique to the United States. And you said okay. that you thought the CDC was involved in actually putting this in the water supply. So I, I can't imagine how much venom would be necessary if you actually wanted to poison the water supply. Okay. And so many people have water filters and they don't even drink tap water. And then if, if it's truly in our water, why aren't why aren't pets being affected? They drink the same water we drink and animals all over the place. How come, how come my two cats that I have, they haven't come down with symptoms. I, I got COVID, you know, months ago and recovered just fine. 
but my my pets are okay. How come the pets aren't affected? And and what quantity of venom would it take actually to pollute a water supply? Yeah, so let's uh, let's clear that up because I get that asked a lot, and I'll say this to them. I go, look, I know a lot of people started picturing that I thought they were like milking snakes and pouring it in your water. I don't think they're doing that. <laughs> There's not that many snakes. They've been synthetically making snake venom peptides in labs I'm aware of since 1989 around the world uh, and what's called alpha conotoxins that's more lethal than cobra venom and more deadly. And uh, these are some of the venoms I've even learned about since then. So people have asked me about the animals. How come animals don't get it? And I'm like, I don't know. They're breathing the same air you do. <laughs> if it's respiratory, I don't know. I'm not a veterinarian. I really don't have all the answers. I just think they're targeting people in there. And I will tell you, I do not think they're using the entire 19, by the way, there's 19 specific venom toxins in viper venom. King Cobra, uh, every viper you can think of. There's 19 specific venom specific toxins. And if you isolate each one of them, which they can do and they can mass manufacture them, they actually target specific organs in the body. And I do not think they're targeting everybody. I know that when they put it either in the air or they spread it through the water, however they do it, and it really isn't this big a deal to me. The water, the water isn't scary to me. I wasn't scared of the water. I just said, I don't like the CDC messing with my water as the predictor of outbreaks in our towns, only to discover all the other countries are doing it too. And this is how they're predicting outbreaks. I'm like, that's weird. Why aren't they looking at air filters and airplanes and in their subway trains and in their hotels? I thought this was a respiratory something. Why are you looking at my water? It just... I don't like the CDC putting fluoride in my water. I don't like the putting chlorine. And these are all neurotoxic and carcinogens. I don't like them. So I've always had reverse osmosis filtering systems. Always. It's just a thing. But remember this, and I really do want to dispel the fear here. It was, it was quite dramatic to watch, watch the water. Like really, really intense. Uh, I wasn't afraid of the water. 99.9% of all people around the world survived the weapon, whatever it was. 99% of all people survived. The bioweapon was terrible at killing you. It just made you sick. <laughs> then they weaponized hospital protocols and then tried to scare you to sign up for the real weapon, the real biological weapon, which is the vaccines, right? They haven't given that up. So I wasn't scared if it was in the air or in the water. It was a sublethal dose anyway. It didn't matter. But I will tell you, I'm convinced the venoms they're using and the peptides of those venoms that they're using, they're specifically targeting two primary organs in the bodies of people with pre-existing conditions, diabetics and heart disease patients. And, and that's not new to me. It's just become more obvious uh, as I've been talking and doing research on CDC's data tracker stuff. It's always been this odd, um, obvious statistic the percentage of race that's dying more than any other in America every week since the pandemic started are Native Americans, not Hispanics, not blacks. It's always Native Americans. Uh, and then it's blacks and Hispanics. But the one thing that's always troubled me is if you look it up, uh, they actually have the individual peptides from snake venoms like King Cobra venom and crate venom that'll specifically target the pancreas of a diabetic, but not affect at the same dose the healthy individuals. And I went through this with Mike Adams. So if I can explain it a little bit so you understand it. It's so so Mike Adams, of course, has a very popular podcast called The Health Ranger. Um, and you can find his podcast. And he also talks about some pretty interesting things. So what did you and Mike uh, get into? 
I did a three I did a three chapter version with him before even Stu Peters released. So it's actually three and a half hours. Richard Bartlett said the next day after that he goes, Everyone needs to watch the Mike Adams interviews, chapters one, two, and three. And if you can't watch those, don't talk about anything that Dr. Artist is revealing if you haven't watched those yet. Because it's one documented after another, and there wasn't very many documents in Stu Peter's interview. But I had them all, but it wasn't incorporated into the uh, the film. But I did. I, I so really have you did. have you come to a conclusion about why? About why what? Why, why are they, whoever they is, the CDC, the government, uh, government agencies, why are they doing this? Oh, yeah. So uh, great question. Uh, actually, this is really the answer. Uh, when I actually was asked to testify with the grand jury, the five-day grand jury with Dr. Rainier Fulmick, if you saw any of that, did you see any of that? Yep. I was asked to kick off right after the PCR part of the beginning of day three. I was asked to kick off the medical malpractice side of COVID-19. And I went over remdesivir. I went over the end-of-life protocols in the UK with midazolam and morphine. At the end of my one and a half hours of documents, the judge goes, Dr. Artis, is it your opinion after all providing all this documentation and evidence that these governments are actually intentionally trying to cause harm and death? And this is my answer. I just said, your honor, this is textbook eugenics. And that's what it is. They are specifically targeting people they believe are inferior. There's a group of people who think they're superior and are finding any reasons to consider others inferior. And then you start targeting them to wipe them out. And I would like to explain this because people don't know this. In the Mike Adams third chapter, I said, Mike, I'm going to show you what I mean by their targeting diabetics with COVID and these venoms. They took rats, albino rats in 2015. Go look at the study or watch my documentary with him. I actually have the links that are on the page. You can actually click all the studies and look at them the way I go through them. They took these two sets of rats, albino rats, and injected half of the rats with a drug to induce diabetes in these rats. So drug-induced diabetes, and then they left the other group completely healthy with no diabetes. So no drug-induced anything. And then they took, this was so eye-opening to me, they took sub-lethal king cobra venom, crude, like raw, and they injected a specific amount into the rats that were healthy and took the same amount of crude Indian king cobra venom and injected it into the diabetics. Do you know nothing happened to the healthy rats? Mm. And then they talk about what happened to the diabetic rats. In the first hour, they went into what's called hyperinsulinemia. Their insulin went flying up and then their blood glucose shot down. And then... In the next hour, the body's nervous system tried to correct and shut off the insulin production. And then they had this spike of glucose. And they went into septic shock, cardiac arrest. They were dying, respiratory failure, coma, diabetic coma. But nothing happened to the healthy rats. And if you watch people, it's very interesting that uh, the diabetics are, in my opinion, are uh, by far the most targeted group. Cardiovascular will be second. And then, of course, people with lung pathology are going to have issues. But my problem with them is I actually think remdesivir is cobra toxin. And if you read the side effects of uh, remdesivir and its EUA on how to prepare it, what you need to test for before and after administration, it's increased prothrombin time. That's increase in how long it takes for your blood to clot. It actually causes internal hemorrhage of the alveolar sacs in your lungs that draw in oxygen and put it into your blood, cobra venom 
called cobra toxin in the bloodstream of any amount will actually make the alveolar sacs shred open and you start bleeding internally into your lungs. And if you simply took an x-ray, it would look like you have pneumonia going on in your lungs. Fluid. Uh, and I have to tell you, it was kind of shocking to, to look at this this way because how I explained what remdesivir was doing wasn't exactly that same way. It was, they're shutting down your kidneys, which it is proven remdesivir increases your risk of acute kidney injury by 20 times any other drugs being used for COVID worldwide. So I know it does that. And if you have any saline solution or IV fluids going into that person and you shut down their kidneys, you're going to flood their abdomen with water. I watched this with my father-in-law. Then it's going to sweep into your lungs. You're going to get pulmonary edema. You'll drown to death. They'll shove a tube in your throat like they did with my father-in-law to get to air into his lungs. I just happened to witness this three months before Anthony Fauci selected the drug and it was very obvious to me that God allowed me to see and witness what happens to a body when you shut down their kidneys and I would recognize it in remdesivir. And then I wanted to just warn the world that you need to stay away from hospital protocols and seek early treatment. It's still always my favorite. And amidst all of this, I just want everybody to know in the very beginning of the Stu Peters thing, I said, everyone who's going to watch this is going to be very upset. It's going to be very, uh, the narrative is very different, but I need you to understand something. And I listed all the medical doctors I have loved and honored. I started with Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, Brian Cole, Peter McCullough, Zev Zelenko, Ben Marble. You were all right all along. This doesn't change anything about your treatment protocols. You're now going to start to understand just why it worked so well and why you need to continue pushing for those corticosteroids like Richard Bartlett and Budesonide. All of those are inhibitory to snake venom peptides. That's why they're trying to bash you and ban you from using them. Anyway. Some of those people still didn't like the info, and that's okay. And you, all, you also had an interesting theory that somehow smokers seem to be less affected by this. Oh, this is phenomenal, actually. Uh, I cannot tell you. I've had medical doctors around the world texting me, reaching out to podcasters, trying to get a hold of me, saying that they added nicotine after watching my stuff and melatonin hormone. If you want to talk about that, it's pretty awesome. But those two together, when they've been struggling with long haulers COVID, and within one day, all their symptoms are disappearing. All of them that they've struggled with. The researchers in April of 2020 in France isolated just the spike protein and did gene sequencing of the spike protein for SARS-CoV-2. And when they put that gene sequence into a database and ran it against everything in nature, it came back with three most identical um, gene sequences that looked identical to it. It was Chinese crate venom, king cobra venom, and then the rabies virus. It was the three of those. And all of the venom-specific sequences they said from crate snakes and cobras, these two they said actually are neurotoxins and specifically attack nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. And if these venoms bind to that, you lead yourself or the victim into respiratory failure. It paralyzes smooth muscle contraction, which includes the diaphragm. These victims or prey can't breathe from the venom. And these people said... The fact that these two venoms target nicotinic acetylcholine receptors and the fact that we are observing in April of 2020 that less than 5% of all hospitalized COVID-19 patients are smokers. They expected to see the opposite. If this was a respiratory virus, they would expect that 95% of all smokers were being hospitalized. But that's not what they saw. So these researchers in France said, you also read the study, it's great. They said, we would like all governments to put together some studies and see if nicotine, which clinically observing seems to have some kind of benefit, uh, we would like to actually check that out. And 
Guess what our country did? Our FDA, our Anthony Fauci NIH, and our CDC went into work. And they made sure the whole country knew. This is not a joke. Right after April 2020 study published, they went into the media and and created commercials for all Americans Mm -hmm. and said, smokers are the most hospitalized for COVID-19 and dying from COVID-19. So there's no better time than now to quit smoking. That was a flat out lie. They lied to all of you. Now, in the last four months, I have to tell you, anytime anybody texted me, emailed me around the world and said, I'm doing budesonide, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin D. I'm doing everything, and it's been two weeks. If it had been two weeks and they saw no improvements and were really struggling to get their oxygen above 90, 91, 92, all I told them was one thing. I didn't tell them why. I just said, I want you to go down to the store at the corner. I want you to buy some Nicorette gum or nicotine patch, and then I want you to text me in in 48 hours. And, And, Doc, I have to tell you, it never even took six hours. When they would start chewing the gum, all of their breathing improved. Wow. Their diaphragm, they could, st- they could feel drawing in air or they put on the patch. Within that day, all their symptoms were improving. Uh, so, Dr. Artis, are you, are you recommending that we bring back smoking on airplanes? Heck no. Smoking's disgusting. <laughs> Nobody better be smoking. No. It's gross. You can get nicotine other places. And I, like I said, I do not recommend smoking. However, if you're having trouble breathing, why don't you use it in the short term if it has any protective benefit like these researchers said? Just try it. And uh, anyway, it's phenomenal. What I'm hearing is really cool around the world. And I have to tell you, for the 10% of crap I hear, 90% of everybody, medical doctors, scientists, nurses, uh, you name it, they're all very, very excited about the info we brought. So, you know, listen, a lot of us have been using ivermectin and before that hydroxychloroquine, et cetera. But it sounds like what you're saying is the mechanism of action that we believe is effective, preventing viral replication and so forth, may actually not be correct. It may, mo- it may have more to do with its anti-venom properties than its antiviral properties. Amen to that. Now, that's true. The first one I looked up was hydroxychloroquine. I wanted to know, they have been so adamant from the beginning, like, it's the only drug they continue to publish, like in writing, along with remdesivir, you cannot use remdesivir and hydroxychloroquine from the beginning. So I wanted to know, is there any truth to the fact that hydroxychloroquine may have a protective inhibitory effect to the toxins inside of snake venom? And imagine my shock when I found anti-malarials, chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine were actually found in 1993 by themselves and nothing else completely inhibited 50% of all neurotoxic effects of snake venom, cytotoxic effects, which are cell tissue damage, and hematological toxic effects, which is red blood cell damage. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my God, this is why they're doing that. And then there's a great study called 100 Years of Suramin. And Suramin is a drug made by Bayer. And they talk in the first paragraph that it's used as an antiparasitic, but it had so many side effects that in the late 80s and early 90s, they stopped recommending Suramin and now use Ivermectin. Well, guess what? Suramin, which is also antiparasitic, so is Ivermectin. The very next paragraph, it says Suramin as an antidote. And it has just paragraphs of how Suramin has this inhibitory effect to all snake venom bites. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys are bashing on Ivermectin and, um, and uh, hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. Because you know it inhibits the snake venom neurotoxicity, blood toxicity, and cell toxicity. And I want to wow. show you this in case you haven't seen it. 
uh, because I like showing people stuff versus just saying it. So on, you know, of, of course, this is a podcast. We don't, we're not doing video, but you yeah. can describe it for, yeah. for yeah, our so audience. I'm going to show you and I'm going to read it. All right. So this is actually a study peer reviewed and approved. All of the research was submitted on June of 2020. The actual study is titled, this was in Italy, Toxin-like Peptides in Plasma, that's blood, Urine and Fecal Samples from COVID-19 Patients. And they actually say that the results were when they compared people who PCR tested for COVID-19 and were sick in multiple cities of Italy, 20 of them. Then they took 10 people who were what we call the control group. They had no symptoms and they tested negative for COVID-19. It says the results, and I'm going to show you the results and read off a few. I'll have you read off a few. I'll show them in the camera. You read them. It says the results. Toxin-like peptides, almost identical to toxic components of venoms from animals, like mm. conotoxins. These are marine lethal snails. Like conotoxins, phospholipases, which for the first time ever was isolated in king cobra venom, phosphodiesterases, which snake venom phosphodiesterase is what the two people that created the mRNA shots, they use snake venom phosphodiesterase from the glands of venom vipers to cleave RNA and DNA to do their gene therapy. They found mm. that. They found zinc metal proteinases, which snake venom makes you deplete zinc and copper. It's one of the things it does. Were identified in samples from COVID-19 patients, but not a single person in the control group. Now, they found 36 different animal venoms. <laughs> 36 different in the poop, urine, and uh, pee. Sorry, poop, urine, and blood of all COVID-19 patients in multiple cities in Italy. Look at the very, it's four pages of animal venoms. Okay. Look at the very first one. Someone read that for me. Uh, you know, I can't see it well enough to, to read it. I'll read it to you. It's Malayan crate snake. The next one, banded crate snake venom. The next one, coral snake venom. The next one is Chinese cobra venom. Oh, then we get to the Malayan spitting cobra venom. Then we get to the Taipan viper. Eastern brown snakes. Three of those are listed there. Then it gets to more uh, cobras, king cobras, Chinese water moccasin venom, siamso snake venom. But look at this. This is crazy to me. You get of the 36 different venoms found in only the COVID-19 patients, there was none in the negative COVID-19 patients. Of the 36 total, 20 were snakes, including crate and cobra. And then the next two are 15 come from the conotoxin, alpha conotoxins from marine snails. They've been making that stuff in factories, mass producing mm. it since 1989. Mm. And it's deadlier than King Cobra venom. But there's this one marine shellfish. I can't figure out how this got into COVID-19 patients. It's a deadly venom from a starfish. It's called the crown of thorns starfish. Now, I have a question. My problem with this study is it was published and peer-reviewed, published October of 2021, just six months ago. This is the most recent thing I found a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, oh, they have proof of these venoms? This is insane. Do you know what I found the most shocking, though, out of this list? What's that? 36 venoms, peptides from snakes and marine creatures. Do you know what animal wasn't on the list that I've been told for two years SARS-CoV-2 comes from? No bats? There's not a single bat nothing in this whole list. And I'm like, uh, by June of 2020, when they would have ran this stuff in the gene sequencing database, 
for sure everyone thought it was bats. <laughs> so they would have ran it and they didn't find any. And so it was just uh, too ridiculous. And I was excited to find this, bring it to light that it's not just one venom. They're making these venoms all over the place. But how are they getting venom inside of you that are neurotoxic to make you sick, make you not be able to breathe? Uh, that there's a potential for nicotine protection that the FDA didn't want you to know, that the CDC didn't want to tell you. Right? They wanted to restrict life-saving inhibitory things. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, corticosteroids, budesonide, zinc, vitamin C, NAC, not vitamin D, all of those I just listed. Doctors are getting trouble for prescribing. All of them have research studies backing their inhibitory to the venoms of these creatures. So you mentioned the water, and I get that. Um, there's a lot of people also that think uh, chemtrails are a thing. Oh, yeah. Could that be another mechanism by which they're spreading toxins? Yes. Uh, in fact, I've actually learned since releasing this that uh, there's multiple doctors, maybe even in the C19 group you're in, there's some people who have actually mentioned that uh, you can buy, I did not know this, but Dr. Tal Braun, he actually taught me this right after I learned it even existed a couple weeks ago. He goes, do you know I could go online and buy aerosolized king cobra venom? And do you really? know they, they can just drop it out of a plane and you can inhale it? And he is convinced. I don't know if you know about this guy, but in June, June 22nd, 2021, he wrote a letter to the FBI. This guy is in U.S. national counterterrorism, and he let the FBI know. I don't know about y'all. I've never written a letter to the FBI. This guy must have been pretty, pretty bold and pretty certain of what he's claiming. He trains FBI and CIA agents in in preventing and handling mass killings using bioweapon warfare. That's his huh. job. And he said to the director at the FBI, who, who he has had contracts with for years, he wrote him a letter and he goes, uh, everyone keeps talking around the world like this is a SARS-CoV-2 respiratory virus. It is not. It's an envenomation. And I called him and I said, look, I, I just found your letter. The day I was doing the Stuart Peters interview, I said, what did the FBI say? And he said, yeah, I got a response. It was received, period, thank you, period. <laughs> I said, you what haven't heard anything else? And he goes, no. And he goes, Dr. Artis, I don't know how you came to these conclusions on your own, but I've been struggling with this for two years, knowing exactly what the weapon was. It is they have weaponized venom. And they don't even have to use the whole peptide. They just can take sequences of it, put it on a virus. He's convinced it's on a virus. I'm not. I mean, I... How do you get that many venoms like they found in the Italy state? How do you get that many on a virus? I mean, I don't know. I'm right. not a gain-of-function guy, but it just seems really hard. I don't know how you do that, but maybe they do. What, what role do masks play, do you think, in this this whole scenario? Oh, well, to me, it gets even more ridiculous, right? I'm like, well, if we're drinking it. <laughs> like, uh, and the truth is for me, and I've said this a few times, I could be totally wrong about the water, but if I'm right and the bat lady was right, if that's true, they can just do this in water and we can drink it. And if they do what's called predictive programming through Hollywood. They told you the whole pandemic in a show in 2016 and the main character in the blacklist season four, episode 15 drank the snake venom in a glass. Someone just put a few drops in there. He drank snake venom from a crate snake developed respiratory failure in the show. He needed corticosteroids and a bronchodilator to save his life. If you believe in that stuff, they told you the whole story and the whole narrative. So if it's true, that's uh, and it's right. If we're right about this water part, just imagine in my brain what it looks like to wear masks everywhere. <laughs> like, oh my <laughs> god, this is even worse. Like, 
And what if we've been lied to? We've been lied to so much about this pandemic. Imagine if they wanted us all to just look at a respiratory virus and it never was. Like, what if? So the, the show, of course, is The Blacklist with, what's his name, uh, Spady? James, I think it's James. Spader. James Spady, maybe. And uh, there's an epi- there's an episode uh, where he is uh, where he's poisoned, and uh, you played a clip of it uh, when you were interviewed when you did the documentary Watch the Water, and I've seen that show before. It's actually a pretty good show. So you're you're now living with uh, security. I do in an undisclosed underground bunker somewhere in my house. Uh, what <laughs> in your house? And what's next? What's next for Dr. Artis? And thank you for leading us down this rabbit hole. It's been quite a trip. What's next for Dr. Artis? And where can people follow you if they want to uh, look at what you're doing? Yeah, so I actually anticipated of the like 18 events I'm scheduled to speak at for the next like six months. I actually thought I'd be immediately rejected by all of them or half of them. And I've actually been added to more than, uh, than I was kicked out of. I was actually kicked out of one tour this last weekend. Because uh, Pierre Corey and others said it was bad for their reputation to be seen wherever I am, and I was like, "Reputation? Is that why you got into this?" I was uh, I, I didn't want people dying, personally. Uh, so I'm actually going to be speaking. I'm going to Cincinnati, Ohio, to speak on Wednesday night, and then I'm flying two days later back to Illinois, and I'm doing a speaking engagement there. As many legislator buildings, I've been. Me and Peter McCullough have been to man, I don't know, seven or eight different uh, state capitol buildings. The last several months, testifying to Senate, state reps, all those that will show up. And that's been very uh, rewarding to actually be able to help help stand for the medical profession. Uh, as a chiropractor, the same profession that I was pissed at, that I thought murdered my father-in-law. I was upset. And uh, I was really glad to find that there were MDs that were as concerned as I was over the ill-advised protocols, worried about their licenses. But I have to show you something because this is, this is where – the stuff like this just kept happening. And I was like, how can this possibly be true? Dr. Charles Hoff out of the British Columbia, he said that all of his patients that are getting the mRNA shots, a whole bunch of them were complaining of getting tired, fatigued, couldn't walk 100 yards, couldn't walk upstairs without having to catch their breath. And he ran this thing called a D-dimer test to look for micro blood clotting. He said 60% of all of his mRNA patients had elevated D-dimer levels. I didn't even know what that test was. I just remember hearing about it last summer. And that meant there was massive amounts of blood clotting going on past after the vaccine. So me, as the chiropractor who doesn't know any better, I'm not the MD, I'm not the lab technician, but I know a whole lot, and I know how to look up stuff. I went like this. Um, I went like this. I typed this in. How are elevated D-dimers interpreted? And I went to Medscape.com, and to my shock, last month was an article written on the whole thing. And I couldn't believe it. I was like... Okay, so how are elevated D-dimer levels interpreted? There's only five bullet points. Imagine my shock to see number five. Number five is snake venom poisoning. Ah. And I was like, oh, no. The other four (laughs) don't describe a cause for D-dimers to be up. They're actually relating stuff like this. Number one is evaluating thrombus formation. That doesn't tell you what's causing the clot. It just says you're looking for one. Then it says ruling out DVT, deep vein thrombosis. Looking for another clock. There's only one thing on here that you look for that could be the cause of the five bullet points here that could cause the blood clotting. And it was snake venom poisoning. And I was like, uh, okay, well, watch this. If there's snake venom causing this in these mRNA shots, I went just like this. Um, who invented the COVID-19 mRNA shots? 
to my shock, it wasn't Robert Malone. It was Drew Weissman and a lady named Catalina Carrico at uh, University of Pennsylvania. And then I just went like this. Drew Weissman and Catalina Carrico, snake venom studies. Holy crap. 2009 is when Anthony Fauci started funding these two people to do gene editing therapy. NIAID. Anthony Fauci's department is giving them money to do mRNA gene editing therapy. And guess what they use to cleave the DNA and the RNA to get the mRNA in it? Snake venom phosphodiesterase. And I was like, oh no, they're using snake venom. And then they've got, and then it says they take the mRNA of snakes, wrap it in nanoparticle hydrogel, add dynabeads. And I remember highlighting it going, what's a dynabead? I've never heard of that. Dynabeads. This was just another answer to a mystery no one knew. I can't believe no one knew this. I didn't know it. I took Dynabeads and I was like, what are Dynabeads? Dynabeads are made by a company called Thermo Fisher Scientific. And they're called super magnets. And they're little bitty spherical balls of metal. And they wrap it in nanoparticle hydrogel around a biological substance. In this case, mRNA. And they're all the same polarity so that when you inject all these billions of little particles into your arm of the vaccine, the dynabeads go like this. Boom! They repel each other and send the biological material all over your body. And finally, it explained why people had that weird magnetism they were reporting with keys and coins. And they were just magnetized all over. It's because of this substance called dynabeads. They mm. use dynabeads, which are magnetic. They, they do gene editing therapy using snake venom. They study mRNA wrapped in hydrogel from snake venom. And I was like, oh, my God, are they just injecting snake venom? Uh, I'm getting a little freaked out here. And I don't know if y'all saw this, but Dr. Jane Ruby and I and a lady out of South Africa, a medical doctor, she went and looked at the slides and all the pictures from the last year and a half she's taken of her post-vaccinated patients from Pfizer shots. And after she saw my video, she had to talk to me and had to reach out to Dr. Jane Ruby. She said there, it looked like these little green glass straws that were broken on the edges inside of her vaccinated patients. And this whole last year and a half, she would put it out online and go, does anybody know what these green things are? I've never seen this before. And no one knew what it was. When she saw my watch the water thing, she goes, oh, my God, I want to know. She goes online and she goes, what does snake venom look like in the blood of a patient under a microscope? And all those little green crystals show up. And she was like, oh, wow. no. And then uh, she wanted to know, what does snake venom do to red blood cells under a microscope? And it causes this thing called an E. It's like econiosis or whatever. This, the red blood cell goes like this, shrinks and then spikes. It gets all these like spike thorns all over it. So she's seen that this whole year and a half. So she took her own blood right after she saw it, took her own blood, puts it on a slide, films it, and videos it under a microscope. And then she takes one drop of the Pfizer vaccine that she has, boop, one drop. And within five minutes, all the red blood cells go like this, whoosh, and then spike, just like the reaction to snake venom she learned about on the internet. Didn't know to even look for that before and was so excited to show us. The scary part of that is if it's not venom, it's behaving exactly like it. And that is not what they are advertising about these shots. So, they're telling you it's an antiviral, mRNA, whatever. I don't even know what they I don't even know how they describe this thing. They don't describe it that it behaves like snake venom. No. Uh, this thing's extremely dangerous, toxic, and uh, and I have to mention this. 
Dr. Tal Baran said that uh, he thinks that God gave me this stuff right now because in his words, the die off hasn't even started yet. And I said, what do you mean the die off hasn't started yet? I thought people were dying. And he goes, no, when they aerosolize the venom that they're getting ready to do, either from planes or in subway trains or airplanes, they're just going to spray it or in schools. The moment these people breathe it in, they're going to have this thing you've heard described like antibody dependent enhancement, except the venomous antibody reactions to the venoms they inhale are going to really rapidly create pulmonary fibrosis and everyone will die. Hmm. So, he's so, like, we, we, so we blew by, we blew through our usual 30 minute uh, uh, time with, with our guests uh, like a half hour ago. Um, so we're, we're just about out of time here. How do people follow you? Do you have social media or some mechanism that they can learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, you can follow me at telegram, the Dr. Artist show. Uh, you can follow me rumble is where we put our videos, but, um, the Dr. show.com is where everything is right now. I'm not posting too many of my own stuff, other videos that people are doing. I'll post. I've just, I've done like 150 interviews in the last two weeks, <laughs> like hour long as each of them. And the goal is really to stand here and make sure you know you don't have to be afraid. We have answers. I want to answer your questions, let you know that I'm not some whack job maniac like some doctors have said I am. I'm not that. I just want to protect and thwart their agenda of harm and mass murder. So I hope it answered some of the questions you guys had. And uh... Absolutely. I look forward to getting feedback from our audience. Uh, Mark and I are not necessarily endorsing uh, this rabbit hole that you let us down, but I think it's important that people hear your perspective, hear directly from you, as opposed to secondhand accounts of what you had to say. And, uh, and certainly your theories are very, very interesting and worth continued exploration. And I thank you for doing that uh, and bringing us your, your version of the truth and, and helping us understand this crazy illness that's been going on for the last couple of years. So let me tell you why I brought this out right now. Can I tell you? Sure. All right. So there's three things. There's really three main reasons why it is I came out with this right now. It kind of feels like there's a lull in COVID, but on March 2nd, 2022, uh, Bachera, the secretary of the department of health and human services and Anthony Fauci and Walensky all had a, had an on stage video presentation and the HHS said that uh, they have a new COVID-19 playbook with all their new variants that are coming. And they looked at the CDC, Walensky, and said, what are you doing in preparation with this new playbook? And they said, we're increasing our water wastewater surveillance sites from 400 wow. to 647. And I'm yeah, like, I heard you say that. I'm like, uh, well, I guess they're not getting rid of this idea. And then they looked at Fauci and went, Anthony Fauci, what are you, what's the NIH doing with our new COVID-19 playbook? His response was, huh, we now have systems in place that for every new variant that we find for COVID-19, we can manufacture and distribute in 100 days or less a brand new variant-specific COVID-19 vaccine. And I Perfect. was like, uh, the Operation Warp Speed, that didn't really pan out so well as we thought. I don't think 100 days is better. So they're, they're not going to give this up. And they just announced uh, there's two things. So two things on top of these. What was really burning up my spirit, making me want to bring this to light, uh, remdesivir, the FDA said on January 21st, 2022, said now remdesivir is the only authorized drug treatment in hospitals, outside hospitals for newborns, seven pounds old, heavy or older children in America. And I was like, there ain't no way I'm letting you pump that into newborns. Y'all are crazy. 
Then they said, now we're going to take it to nursing homes also. And I was like, no, you're not going to go target the elderly there because they're not coming to your hospitals. And then you've got Brian, do you think think past infection or exposure or whatever it is, uh, is protective against future exposure? Uh, Not from the perspective of venom. Yeah, because once when you get bit by a snake and you get antivenom, it's not as if you're now immune from getting bit again. No, and, and I actually used to take this stance with like common colds. People would go, do you really think you get COVID twice? And when Peter McCullough at first would go, well, if you get it once, you can't get it again. I'd go like this. Well, that doesn't even make a lot of sense because people can get a common cold virus, which is coronavirus. And just because you got a cold once doesn't mean you're going to get it, not get it again, ever again. And you do. So it was just right. this weird thing. So no, if it's venoms, then of course, if you get bit once, you can get bit again and get just as sick or have issues. And, uh, if it's true that they're wanting to do this with shots, they're wanting to envenomate you every six months, which sounds horrific. Horrific. It's crazy. Crazy. Dr. Artis, thank you so much for joining us on Informed Dissent. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.